Welcome to AI Nerd, AI with Attitude. Today, I am joined by Jose Tomas. Jose, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I, I Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I mean, you've worked with, you know, you've built cars with General Motors. You've done healthcare with Anthem. I think you may have flipped a burger at Burger King. And uh, then also the oh, whole way with Sherm, you've, uh, you're like a board member there. So I guess if I need anything with HR related, I'm going to come to you. But you've started, you started this new company called BrandSpark, where you work on culture and infusion. And, you know, in this day and age where we're all online and all this technology surrounds us, I feel like maybe culture is getting dropped. So nice to meet you. Uh, maybe give us a background who you are and give me a little bit of your journey. And let's, let's start with that, if they don't mind. Sure, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. So I'll tell you, uh, almost three years ago, two and a half years ago, we started BrandSpark. Uh, and it was the culmination of, of uh, over 25 years of human resources experience, my partner and I, who, um, who came out of the corporate communication side, uh, saw a niche, a need. Um, but prior to telling you a little bit about that need, I'll kind of tell you a little bit about my, my, uh, my upbringing from a, from a corporate standpoint. So I spent uh, uh, nearly 17 years in the grocery business, started out bagging groceries, eventually became an HR person there right after uh, the, um, the, the, the changes of the uh, Title VII or, or, or the law that, that um, initiated, um, I think, a, a wave of equal employment opportunity truly in, in this country, in the US. And I began my career as a EEO investigator or an associate relations specialist at the time and grew my career uh, starting from there, eventually moved on into the logistics and transportation business for a few years with Rider System in Miami. Uh, then, as you mentioned, we didn't, um, we didn't flip burgers. We actually boiled them because it was Burger King, home of the Whopper. And I spent nine years there, uh, started out at the, I stand at the corporate level. Yeah, no, no, hey, he, you know, there is a difference and you can taste the difference. So, <laughs> so I started out uh, as, a, as a corporate HR person, moved around, uh, had an opportunity to do a lot of global HR, eventually uh, took on the, the role of uh, chief people officer. I also had the opportunity while at Burger King uh, to run a PL, which is a, a huge opportunity for any HR leader, something I would always recommend someone to, to have um, uh, the opportunity if they're given the opportunity to run a, a PL uh, or a business unit within their organization. So I ran. Uh, the, the Latin America and Caribbean region for Burger King and had the opportunity to not only wear the HR hat, but also overseeing um, uh, 30 countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. Amazing opportunity uh, to, to impact uh, the business using what, uh, what I consider to be uh, core human resources learnings throughout my career. Uh, from there, I, um, I, I moved on to Anthem Health. It was the beginning of Obamacare uh, at the time. Uh, Anthem is the second largest health benefits provider in the U.S., a Fortune uh, 30 organization. And I felt that it was the right time to cross over into healthcare, which was truly an emerging area at the time. Uh, spent a few years you there. You go from uh, providing the fattiest burgers that taste delicious right. to providing right. the healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> to take care of the people you just sold the burgers to making you know, sure I got, I got the, but the, I see your guilt path. Continue. Well, I'll tell you, 
you know, there is there is one thing about HR professionals as it is in other in other disciplines. We have the ability to move from one industry to another and take our learnings to to um, multiple industries. I think if you do niche yourself and if you do get into an area or an industry and stay there forever, um, you can certainly have a very wholesome and, 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 and great career, but it's, it's a, for me, it was a whole lot more fun to go from uh, grocery retail to logistics and transportation, to fast food, uh, to healthcare, and then eventually into auto manufacturing. So I was, I, I, I was at the GM for, for a brief time and then decided to start our firm and move, move to Miami. Uh, it was, um, it was an opportunity. My, my business partner brought it to me and, uh, and it was an opportunity to take all the learnings of 25 years of HR, 35 years of a corporate uh, career in total and create something that was needed in, in the market. Something that um, today we now see that that is, uh, is even, a, 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 I guess, a growing business within some of the larger corporate communications and, and even PR firms where they're starting to grow the employee communications and branding uh, verticals. So when we started two and a half years ago, it was relatively new. There was only a small number of firms that were focusing on the employment value proposition, focusing on, on culture communications and developing all the content and collateral that's needed in order to engage your employee population as well as your, your, your um, potential employees through recruitment marketing. And then, and, and as we've seen, particularly during the pandemic, corporate communications has really risen uh, to one of the most critical functions in an organization because now you're talking to employees in remote locations. They could easily be working from home for months and um, they're staring at, at um, you know, the children drawings or they're, they're staring at their books and they're not, actually uh, talking to anybody within their organization and they're losing that camaraderie and they're losing that engagement to that brand. So now what we're helping employers do is ensure that their employees are also remaining engaged during the pandemic. So the business has certainly grown and taken on different tentacles uh, with the core belief system that what we do and what we are known for at BrandSpark is in fact culture communications. It's building, or better yet, discovering and then building the collateral around your employment value proposition, enhancing your employment brand, disseminating it internally with your employee population and externally uh, with prospective um, employees as well as, as um, your, your core consumer. And growing your presence in a way, uh, whether it's for remote workers or, or aesthetically in your own, in your own uh, work environment so that there is a level of engagement to the brand by the employee. So I, I think I summarized uh, yeah. five years <laughs> in a few minutes and, and, and a little bit about what BrandSpark is really tasked in doing with our, with our clients. So let's imagine, yeah, the, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a prediction, 101 people that watch this. <laughs> that, if, you know, you, you get some That's HR, uh, enthusiasts that are in there and they're, you know, they're charged with changing the culture and the brand and, and, and then trying to figure it out in this new world. Tell me, tell me, you know, I think you guys focus on employee branding, like the employee engagement and internal communications around that. Uh, 
tell me why that's so important. And, and you know, you focus on those three capabilities. Maybe I, I just I don't have the the background you have. So I, you know, from my my experience, whenever you get a call for a catch up with HR, it usually means I need to go find a new job. So my my uh, you know I don't have that background. So for anybody who doesn't understand why that's really important, especially when you're rehiring or or cycling through new, you know, you're reinventing your whole company because of COVID or whatever else. Maybe walk me through why those areas of capabilities are so important. Great. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that that um, my partner and I harp on is the the ability to demonstrate the return on investment. This isn't just a a warm and fuzzy HR initiative, and culture is something that I think by now folks truly have the ability uh, to clearly articulate. There's a lot of tools out there that you can measure your, your culture, that you can measure engagement, that you can measure employee satisfaction. So we now know uh, with, with clear certainty that culture can be measured. Those management behaviors can easily be communicated and articulated in almost anything that you, uh, you do from the time that you're sourcing, screening, and selecting candidates all the way through your performance management systems, all the way through someone's retirement or exit out of the organization. So in order for us to really sit down with, with a, a business leader and, and, and communicate what is the ROI, what is it that you're trying to, to um, um, build in terms of your employment brand, the business leaders tend to always think culture may be a little warm and fuzzy and maybe you can't put your finger on it. But you can, in fact, uh, develop a, a, um, a clear and concise message. And that includes building a brand voice, a brand essence, how you speak to your employees. So think of it from a very, very tactical standpoint. Maybe give me an example. Yeah. If you could, sure. like, give me an example of like uh, a good example of that and a bad example of that. And like, absolutely. I so, so let's talk first about employee communications. Employee communications many times sits all across the organization. It could sit within... Uh, corporate communications, it can sit on the side of the desk of an HR person, or it could sit in, inside of uh, the office of a general counsel, or anybody else could be running HR communications. For that matter, you have many business leaders that are sending out memos, building um, um, videos or podcasts or any, any other media that they may be using. What we try to help instill in these organizations is that there should be one brand voice, one way to communicate. So if you are in an organization whose culture it is to be nurturing, to be caring, to be a patriarch or a matriarch, that comes out in your messaging. That may either um, turn off your employees or it may engage your employees. And that discovery process helps us discover or, 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 or clearly articulate with data what messaging and how to message to your employee population. One of the things that we do exceptionally well is we then create collateral or creative content. It doesn't matter whether it's the, the, um, the, the, the intranet that you may be using inside of your human capital management system or a separate uh, platform. It could easily be the banner that you use, the, the tagline that you use for your recruitment marketing. It could be how you articulate your, your, your commissions or your compensation programs or your benefits. Some of these things are written by consultants in a way that your own employees, when they read it, they don't understand the difference between their benefit programs or they don't understand how they're getting compensated and why, how does equity work? We have an ability to take that 
and shape it for your specific employee population. If you have a, um, an employee population that's 90% hourly working in retail, how you communicate to them, the words you use, the messaging, the, the clarity has to be done for that specific population. If you're, on the other hand, talking to uh, graduate um, engineering students when you're going out and recruiting, that message has to also be tailored for that specific population. It's not one size fits all. It's, it has to be built around who the recipient is, whether it's your employees or candidates. So we get very granular in terms of how we communicate uh, to each employee uh, population. In some instances, uh, within one organization, you may have an overwhelming brand essence, who you are as an employer. If you think about, um, when, you, when you think about certain brands, Facebook, Google, Tesla, you have an impression, Amazon, whatever brand you want, you have an impression of how it is to go work in those brands. You might not know anybody that works there, but you kind of think, oh, if I go work for that particular company, I think that's who they are. They're innovative, they're entrepreneurial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you get there, you might find that that's not really the case. You might find that that it's the messaging that's being delivered is very different than the reality. So we talked about burgers. It's sort of like seeing a menu board and you see this wonderful burger on the menu, bur on the menu board. And then you, you, you take it home and you open the bag and it looks like somebody sat on it. That's very much maybe the, the case. The, 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 the reality of, 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 of not only articulating, but delivering on the value proposition. So, so, so yours is the alignment of the external brand versus when you get inside and you're like, oh gosh, this is not even close to what uh, I thought it would be like. You know, I, I've worked for companies like that where you get in and you're like, oh my gosh, this would be great. It's all digital. And, ooh, and you get in there and you're like, there's more paper than you've ever seen. And it's so antiquated. And you're like, holy cow, what have I done to myself? Absolutely. And by the way, the consumer brand may be completely different than the employment brand. I mean, there's, there's a company, uh, I won't say the name of the company, but there's a company that says they are fun. And, and, and it ends with, with they're, they're, they're actually a travel, uh, and, uh, a travel company. And their whole thing is about fun and giving, giving you the ability to go and have fun. They brought that internally as their, their mantra for, for their employee value proposition, but the employees push back and they say, wait a minute, it's not fun to work here. This is real work. This we're responsible people. You know, that's for the consumer. We're delivering fun to them. Please don't tell us that it's fun. We're not coming over here and having pina coladas. Uh, we're, we're actually um, working and producing to deliver on our, on our qu quarterly measures. So you got to be very careful that your consumer brand or the brand you're articulating to your investors or the brand that you are communicating to other stakeholders is not necessarily uh, very divergent. In other words, so, so uh, separate from your employment brand, but it, it isn't usually yeah. uh, one that, that, that mirrors your, your other stakeholders. So is there any industry that really suffers from this worse than others? I mean, the one you decided, I think would be a fan. Like, I imagine Disney, it would be a perfect example of what the brand yeah. is outside versus yeah. the reality of what it is to work there. Uh, I'm sure is miles apart. So is there an industry or, I mean, a setup that you need to consider? I, I will tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't want to certain say, certain, certainly say any particular companies because some of them may be our, our, our customers or we're helping them align their, their employment brand to the actual uh, experience. But I, I do think that right now there are certain industries that are suffering 
as a result of negative views in, in uh, the media or um, negative views that are being posted on, on sites like LinkedIn and others. For example, the tech sector. There is a belief system that the tech sector is, uh, is limited in its, in its hiring of, of a diverse workforce. But there are certain companies that are exceptionally good in that sector in hiring and retaining a diverse population. So it's not one, again, it's not one size fits all, but maybe they're not communicating that they are, in fact, a, um, a, not only a tech disruptor, but a disruptor in, 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 in their own employment um, arena. I think financial services is another one that is, is still going through some challenges. It did um, years ago, even, even in uh, 08, 09, in 2010, back then, um, I'm showing my age here, many of the top employers of the best companies to go work for in terms of college graduates were companies like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns, which, you know, obviously we know where they are, but those were the brands that people wanted to go work for if you studied finance, economics, or, finance, or, or, or wanted to get into the financial services sector. They had a, a brand that was much stronger uh, in the eyes of a recent college grad um, than many brands today have. Now, that being said, I think there's outliers. There's, in, there's individuals out there that are really leading the way in ensuring that they are seen as different than the rest of the pack. And they're gaining uh, a followership and they're, and, they're, and they're hiring the best and the brightest. And it comes right, that, right down to that specific point. If you are articulating a really healthy and wholesome employment brand and your employment value proposition is articulating a message either through your collateral, through your words, that attracts the best and the brightest people out in the market, then you're going to win. If you're if you're sitting back and just letting the market dictate what is said about you on Glassdoor, on Indeed, on any platform, and, and you're not actively managing it, then you know you're obviously not um, taking a, a a proactive effort in ensuring that your brand is perceived in a positive light. Let me give you another example. There's been brands in the past few years that have suffered from public relations issues. There may be a CEO that made a racist remark, maybe a company that went into bankruptcy, maybe a company that had a huge product recall or, or maybe was involved in, in, in the deaths of, of, of people because of their product. Those companies, some of them are either taking an active participation and an active view of fixing their employment brand from the inside out, or they're just hoping it'll go away because they're communicating different messages around their product or their people. Oh. And, I, and I do believe that that's gonna be the future of what we do in, in terms of, of uh, building employment brands. So and marketers are getting into it too. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, let's say you have a company that's continually having hiring challenges and they keep hiring people with criminal backgrounds and, and it seems like that's the only people they can hire. You know, I, I would think th there's a cultural shift that would need to happen in, in a crazy company like that, right? Versus, uh, I mean, or equally to, I guess, uh, you know, the Lehman Brothers or the bigger companies of the world, they have the same problem, different scale, different challenges. Uh, 
the marketing piece of that I think is incredibly important because it's truly the message that you send out not only to the public to retain or, or attract, I'm sorry, new talent, but then retain them once they actually end that it's actually what you delivered on. Uh, maybe from a tactical standpoint, walk me through like me like what's an engagement with your with with BrandSpark look like? Like how do they begin? Is it, is it a one week journey? Is it a six year journey, six month? Like maybe just walk through an engagement because I don't maybe have a sense of how long this takes to really start facilitating change. Sure. So let me let me address something you just said because I think it's critical. It, you, know, you mentioned, let's say, for example, a, a, an organization that may want to go out and hire um, individuals that are coming back into society from, from being in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, they haven't been incarcerated. That may be part of your employment brand. You may have created a concerted effort to go out and help revitalize or, 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 or bring back individuals into society. That may be part of your employment brand. So I don't, you know, I, I think there is a, there's a key here that whatever you do, it has to be by design, by design. Whatever you create has to be not an accident, but has to be that's a, a well that's thought a out. Point. Because I think so, a lot of times that's not the case. I think a lot of times it's who's available in the market and, you know, Correct. but I guess, are you allowed to, if you're trying to drive a brand of employee, do you run your risk of producing inequality or uh, discrimination if that person doesn't fit the brand when you're trying to well, hire them? The, part, of the, part of the development of the brand is to ensure that there is, there is a, a inclusivity and that you are going out to market with, with a, a message that is uh, going to bring individuals into the organization that are diverse. Certainly, you focus on on culture, which can, in fact, um, in many instances, bring individuals from very diverse backgrounds, and and um, and I think it has to be um, a, a a byproduct of your recruitment and your HR functions to ensure that if they do see that the employee population is not as diverse as you would want and that includes in certain areas where they have been struggling including as i mentioned earlier the, the tech sector where they've been struggling to bring a diverse population that uh, that they they have a concerted effort that includes building collateral and communicating and advertising in sites or in or in um, media that actually brings in a diverse talent going out and recruiting in campuses that can bring in a diverse entry talent what what, what, the question you asked earlier, which was, what is kind of the typical uh, process? It all starts with understanding how the organization behaves today. What are the elements of an organization that are truly valued by their employees? So their discovery process tends to take some time, weeks in some instances, trying to understand what are the management behaviors what are your employees saying about you that are positive traits that we can communicate? There is a reason why we do that because sometimes you'll go up to a CEO and they'll say, you know, we're innovative. Let's use that terminology because everybody wants to say they're innovative. We're entrepreneurial. But then you talk to the employees and the employees tell you, we're not innovative. I gave an idea three months ago and we didn't, you know, we came up with it first and somebody else launched it. Or conversely, we're entrepreneurial. The CEO might want to think, or the CFO, or, or the chief marketing or chief human resources officer may feel that they're an entrepreneurial co uh, company. But in fact, 
they, they, they may punish those that deviate from the process and deviate from how things are supposed to be. Don't think outside of the norm because you might be punished. So don't call yourself entrepreneurial. So we come back and sometimes have to have these conversations and hold what we say, hold a mirror to their faces and say, you know, this is who you really are. Based on what we discovered, these are the elements, these are the traits that you're very well known for. Maybe you're known for being in a very meritocratic environment. You reward for what is delivered. Maybe you, you, um, you, you come across as a very caring organization. People love taking care of their members if it's an insurance company or, or a, healthcare, uh, um, a healthcare provider. But at the same time, you don't want to discount those aspirational elements that maybe the CEO wants, because that's how you help build a slightly different culture over time. So you uncover who you truly are through this discovery process that includes focus groups. It includes, in many instances, interviews. Today, we're doing everything via, via online surveys and Zoom calls, obviously. Uh, so we don't have the ability to just bring in you know, 30 people and start um, putting words out to see which resonate we're doing it slightly different. And actually, in a, if I could ask, I think it actually yeah. improves your survey nominivity because people at home would feel like they're less likely to be in trouble for speaking their opinion because they could do it, you know, presumably anonymous online and, and in person yeah. body language, people like that pick up on it. And uh, so I, I think that's actually an advantage to, to changing culture now because you know people expected the change they don't want it to maybe like it, because it's the no, new normal right as it's being called i, I would love to i would love that. i would love to hear your take on something though in organizations where i i know i've even joined where i was supposed to be a disruptor or you're supposed to be modernizing or you're supposed to create a new a new thing if you will innovative yeah the word uh the sacred cows if you know the term is in a lot of times it's those who have built the company are the exact problem of why you can't change a culture or you can't move forward. Tell me, get, I mean, I know that's a long conversation and it's probably not one you can solve in the next 20 minutes or so, but give me your thoughts on see a new CEO or an existing long-term CEO. It doesn't matter that some executive above other executives has hired you to help shift the culture. And there are a bunch of sacred cows. You also can't touch at the same time, which are the exact problem of the culture. Talk to me about that incredible uh, dilemma or dichotomy or whatever the right yeah. word is. I'm never good with so, words. Tell well, me. I'll tell you, we've discovered, we've discovered that typically, and this is not obviously the rule, typically a new CEO or a new chief marketing officer or a new chief human resources officer is far more open to change in terms of culture, and how they communicate than one that's doubt. been established, right? Yeah, without so let's start out with that. And there's a lot of data out there as to who, um, you know, there was a recent survey that was that was uh, delivered, I think, this week around from one of the major recruiting firms as to which CEOs have have delivered more value. Those that came from the outside in the past five years, or those that have been in the inside for 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 an extended period of time. I think ultimately there is there is no one answer, but we have seen that new C-suite executives coming into an organization have the ability to influence change a whole lot faster and a lot more effectively than those that have been established. To your point, when we go into an organization that, uh, that uh, has had an established C-suite, 
uh, and more importantly, an established head of HR or head of, of um, or, or, or a CEO that's been there for some time or maybe grew up in that environment. We do ask the question about what, you know, what are your perceptions of the organization? And, and we do get to the point where we ask which things are in fact non-negotiable, which are these management behaviors, which are the elements that you will tell us we cannot touch because they're part of the fiber of your organization. More so than not, we'll discover that those individuals at the top, because they've been around for a very long time, they can clearly articulate management behavior on the positive side. They can tell you what, what's working really well, but they can't tell you which things are broken. And what, the, and what they also cannot tell you is how the competitors are doing. So the disruptors in the market are, are, are essentially take, maybe taking business away. Um, I've, we, we've seen, let's say for example, in the pizza business, I remember when I used to only be able to get Pizza Hut delivery, that was it. You couldn't get, you know, maybe you had a little corner pizza shop over here that had a, had a delivery, but as far as around the country, you only saw Pizza Hut and then you saw um, Domino's and then you saw Papa John's and every time a disruptor came around, I think to a certain extent, some of those players may have been caught by surprise. But the reality is that the, the change doesn't always come from the top down. The change does not come from the C-suite pushing it down to the organization. In many instances, the middle management team is the one that's carrying all the keys to your culture. They're the ones that are making the decision as to whether or not what you're bringing from the top down is actually going to get executed. We've, we've had conversations with C-suite executives and I've had conversations as a chief human resources officer where the, the C-suite says one thing and they're saying, this is how we are. And then you go and talk to the middle managers and they laugh. They tell you that that's not how we are. In fact, if we did that, we'd get fired. And you, you find yourself um, in, a, in, a, in a situation where you sometimes have to go back and, and communicate that. The beauty of, having, of, of, of working for BrandSpark is that when I was a head of HR and I had to go communicate to the C-suite that things weren't really how they, how they thought it was, they would get upset. How dare you? You just came from the outside. I've been here for X number of years. How can you tell me that that's actually what's happening? I've been here for X number of years and you just got here. Well, I'm telling you what I just surveyed. I'm telling you what I just found out. <laughs> I'm telling you what people are yeah. telling me. And it's a whole lot harder to do that when you're in the inside. So a lot of times heads of HR call me because they know I'm a third party, because I'm the one that is going to deliver what they already know. Well, that's a, so, so that's a good question. So, so they hire you, but usually there's a trigger. And yes. usually people are like, you know what? I'm bored today. I'm going to change the culture of my company. <laughs> usually something's happened. Maybe, maybe if you think listicle, right? What's the top three things that you're getting called about to, to, to go change? Like why, why do they call you initially? Well, it's, in fact, it's changed in the past couple of years. The, 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 the most recent changes have been remote workforce and keeping the remote workforce engaged, which I think is going to be long-term. Uh, I don't think people are just going to rush back into corporate offices. So the engagement of your, of your employee population in, in, uh, in a remote workforce and ensuring that they're productive. You can measure productivity on a computer. You can see how much data is flowing back and forth through the, the VPNs and, 
And, you know, frankly, CEOs and, and CFOs and others are concerned about productivity right now. Uh, they may not tell their employee population, but they are, in fact, uh, concerned about it. Some, CEO, some, some um, um, I would say, uh, well-known CEOs are communicating that to their employees already. The second, the second piece outside of, of, of having to work in a remote environment are all the cyclical things that happen as a result of external factors. You had BLM, you had political issues, you have other factors that have over the course of the past years changed the way that, that employees, better yet, companies are communicating to their employees. You had Me Too, the Me Too movement, you had BLM, you had political issues. All these elements are impacting the way that a, that a CEO and a C-suite is communicating to their employees. In some instances, some, um, some employees are, are, are upset at their C-suite executives, upset at their company because of the way they managed or did not manage a situation or communicate or did not communicate um, a, a, um, a, a current activist issue in the market. Um, and you have to deal with it. You have to first identify what is your position and then communicate that. And I think yeah. corporate communications leaders are doing exceptionally well uh, under, under the current conditions. And I think the, the things that we find recurring over time has always been the recruitment of top talent. You have to build an employment value proposition, an employment brand that attracts the right talent for you. If you build a brand and communicate a specific brand, people will self-select during the recruitment process. If they don't like what they see, they'll say, forget it, I don't wanna work there. I can, I can see these people are wearing all this protective equipment. I can see how they're sweating in, on these videos on their website. I don't wanna sweat. I don't wanna to have to wear all that PPE. That's not for me. If on the other hand, um, you're, you're um, you know, you have people that love that type of environment, maybe uh, a nurse that, that loves to work in an environment where it's, um, it's, it's members or, it's, or the people they're taking care of are in an incarcerated environment. Um, you know, you can work in a hospital, you can work in a clinic, you can work in a jail. So people are attracted to each of those environments. So you have to build a value proposition that, that attracts that individual so that they raise their hand and they self-select because it will help reduce your turnover. And we've been able to demonstrate the reduction of turnover based on how we communicate during a recruitment marketing campaign. And I think that is pure ROI. If I can help reduce your turnover, if I can help improve the quality of candidates that you bring to the table, then you, you've already, um, you've already had a, a fantastic investment in your, in your firm. It's, it sounds like, you know, in, and we got a few minutes left here. So, you know, I'd like you to make a prediction. You know, it seems like uh, companies should be, if, especially public companies in particular, I think private ones might struggle a little bit more because of uh, just another reasons. Not that they wouldn't be a good fit for this, but definitely public companies where they're in the, in the limelight, spotlight, if you will, being judged by how their company is performing and what they're doing about it. Definitely looks like there would be budget or should be budget moving forward to help address these types of issues. But, you know, fast forward a year, two years, what, what, give me some crazy prediction in this, in this industry. That'd be crazy, but they're always more fun if they are. Sure. So I'll tell you that, that I, I, I keep hearing whether or not this remote workforce um, is going to be in the long term. I do believe that you're going to see um, 
a lot more employees working remote. So what does that mean? Number one, it means you can now recruit talent, not just in your geographic circle, but you can recruit talent from all around the world. We used to do that specifically only with, with applications that employed project work through, through let's, let's call them gig workers. Right. But now you're starting to see companies that are recruiting a, a, a best-in-class marketer, a best-in-class finance professional that is unwilling or does not want to relocate to the city where the headquarters or the office right. is at. And they're allowing that individual to work remotely. You're going to see an increase in that. It is cyclical, right? I remember years when everybody was was working from from uh, remote destinations, and then we all wanted to bring them back into the work environment because we wanted to see them, because we wanted to have that camaraderie. Now, I think the the long term vision is that if you're able to clearly and concisely measure the performance of your employees, because that has to be there, and we've we've articulated that to our to our clients is that you have to have systems in place that you can measure performance. If you do that, you can have workers anywhere in the country. In the or world. I mean, in the world, I mean, like you're talking about diversity, right? You could have people Absolutely. that do all sorts of functions. I think this is where I, where the, the services you guys are providing of messaging across cultures, geographic regions, time zones to create a sense of community and, and brand, you know, regardless of, of, of where you're located or where you grew up or whatever else absolutely uh, is going to be difficult. It's going to be new area, especially with the, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the gig economy of, of how companies will source their different functions and core functions. Even I think uh, I don't think, you know, the Cortana thing I get every morning about how productive I was is completely, it just means do I just game it with filling meetings up with other people and it's just, I, I'm not a fan. I think if you were unproductive, in the office, you're going to be unproductive at home. If you were productive in the office and there was no way to actually measure it, then you're productive here. There's different job types that Absolutely. that'll, it's going to, there's, I think it's a waste of money to go spend a bunch of technology dollars to go track people. And I think that by a messaging be like, I don't want to work there. I'm going to just be able to do my job and Bingo. not be judged. And, and that I didn't, you know, log in enough, or I didn't have enough, you know, I didn't click like on some share on teams, all that stuff. Like you're just gaming the system and then you're making people therefore unproductive. So they don't get in trouble for not being <laughs> very well said. And, and, and I, I just, there. I absolutely loathe it. I think it's a great idea and concept, but a complete waste of money and time. Uh, absolutely. Thomas, I mean, I'll tell you, if you, if you, um, if you communicate to your, to your employees that you are measuring their time on the computer and that you're, you're measuring what data is flowing through their email systems or oh, the applications yeah. they use that speaks volumes of your culture and I mean, some employees are okay with it yeah you know in this in there's some notions of that you still need to be in the office and if i don't see her at five that is completely a waste of time too and, and I, i'm personally one who's worked from remote or i've been on client site for the last decade plus just nowadays there's more people in my office at home right that's that's the right. difference but um is, is that you need management systems in place that judge that have, you have roles that have activities that have outcomes and that's what you're, me you're measured against and Absolutely. how you do it matters. I think, you know, in the quality of the work and how you know, you meet all that stuff matters. That has nothing to do with technology it has everything to do with who you hire and how they manage and what you're asking these employees to do and what the roles are. And, and, and these are uh, as much as I love technology, I think it's a complete 
it's it's being it's the absolute wrong place to go is to to watch what people are doing and measure them based yeah. on activity on a computer. I know how many friends I have that have mouses that shake so they look like they're whole, they're working. <laughs> they have their little mouse shakers, and then they game the system or occasionally. You know, they, they put meetings up with other people who are on the same page as them to get some free time. So they have fake meetings. So it looks like they're productive as hell. They had a two-hour meeting with so-and-so who's up here and they're out having a lunch. I mean, it, it's just a waste of money and time to spend on that. And, and instead, what did you have to get done this week? Did you do it? Oh, great. You got it done early. Do you want more to do? Because it seems like you're very good. That's a much better plan than sees your, you know, your rating today. Is it a 28% focus? Oh my God, I'm going to yeah. throw up when I see that. So well said. I think let me, you let me off my pedestal and across uh, across the knowledge worker base and and you know certainly different for product production and 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 retail of course and, of course but but I think that's that's one huge aspect and I think the second piece that you're starting to see and you're going to continue to see and it's going to become far more prevalent is social activism by employers and how you are addressing those issues. Um, uh, in terms of not, not, I'm not sp specifically talking about politics. I'm talking about um, climate. I'm talking about um, labor. I'm talking about um, issues that, that connect your brand to the values of your employees. Yep. Because, you know, I had, my, I had a conversation with my daughter who's 15 recently about, you know, which, which kind of companies would she want to go work for? And, uh, and I asked her, would you work for a tobacco firm? Would you go work for, there's so many industries that you, that you can articulate whether or not they're, 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 that you're okay with it. And I think every individual has their own value system. You just have to build your own value proposition that attracts the type of individual that you want to come, that yeah. wants to come work for you. So I, I think that um, employees are going to require their employers to be very clear and very concise about what they believe in from a corporate standpoint. What social justice um, um, messaging are you delivering? If you're okay with certain things, then you're not saying anything, essentially is, is the belief system. If you're taking a position, whether it's one way or the other, then you're developing not only a, a not only are you building your consumer brand, your 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 stakeholders are looking at you uh, in a certain way, but your employees are doing so, and they get to pick and choose whether or not they believe that that's a a, a, a the right thing to do. You know, it'd be it'd be interesting. You know, and, and we have just a couple minutes left here, and and, and I really appreciate the time today. Uh, this is insightful because I think I think it'd be interesting to do a follow up with you, almost like a tactical. You know, God, I hate to say it, PowerPoint presentation on, you know, imagine an HR professional and you're just trying to think about how to think about it before they brought you in is just, you know what, if you're thinking, here's some thoughts and questions and why you would think, and here's the questions you should be asking yourself if, if you need these types of services or if you're having these types of challenges. So almost like a self-discovery, self-assessment that someone could take. I think I would love that follow-up because I think, you know, like a 10 or 15 minute video that, that someone could watch and be like, hey, I went through that. I feel like we have those challenges. We would need your services to do that because sometimes it's the step before the step to realize that you have a problem to even identify it. And if you're willing for that, I'll, I'll, we'll find time Absolutely. to go back and do that. Um, but thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate it. And I, I think you're going to have uh, a lot of success given this, you know, the more turmoil there is usually the better consulting, <laughs> the more consulting right. is needed in, in these times, <laughs> but uh, specifically around how people interact and what we've been brought up to learn to, 
to uh, how to work, where to work, how to, you know, and, and for, it's going to be very disruptive for a number of people. And then there's a whole generation coming up that are just learning online now at age six and above. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So on the contrary. Uh, yeah. I thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Have a great day. And uh, we'll chat again soon. You too. Thank you again.